0: Hey, let's get right into it as I fix my collar. I always forget to put my mic on. Welcome. We're at Don't At Me. Yes, sir. We got you covered today, man. We got Porter Mosier, the head coach at Oklahoma. He has coached in the Final Four. Remember that magical run with Loyola? He's going to join us. America will always owe Allison Williams an apology. And we got Doug Gottlieb to break down the Final Four. But first, Will Smith apologizes, ladies and gentlemen. Holy cow. Wait a second. Well, if you're going to apologize, well, then everything's all right. I mean, damn, there you go. Uh, violence in all its forms is poisonous and destructive. My behavior at last night's Academy Awards, inexcusable, unacceptable. Jokes at my expense are part of my job. But a joke about Jada's medical condition was too much for me to bear, and I reacted emotionally. I would like to publicly apologize to you, Chris. I was out of line. I was wrong. I'm embarrassed for my actions. And they were not indicative of the man I want to be. There's no place for violence in a world of love and kindness. Yeah, there is. No, there really is. I mean, you can say all this bull bull stuff, but of course there is. I mean, we see it all the time. I would also like to apologize to the Academy, the producers, but okay, great. And here's something, ladies and gentlemen, there are three great phrases for athletes and the entitled. One, I'm a man. Two, only God can judge me. Three, and this is a new one, I am a work in progress. That's what, hey, look, that's what every criminal should do. They should come up in front of the judge and say, hey, look, I'm a work in progress. I'm just a work in progress. We've seen two dudes now, Jawan Howard (laughs) and Will Smith, smack somebody, whether it's a slap or a punch, on national TV. And not a damn thing has been done to either. We live in an upside-down world. Uh, I don't want anything done to anybody, but we live in an upside-down world. Dudes can smack you on national TV. Hell, I saw a dude on ESPN the other day got a DUI. We live in an upside-down world, ladies and gentlemen. I saw a couple dudes actually got DUIs on ESPN the other day. We live in an upside-down world. But, hey, just go on national TV, smack somebody, and nothing. Go over somebody, I guess open hand, you guys like that, and smack somebody, nah, we got nothing. It's an upside-down world. And we can't wait to write articles on the football coach. Did you see what Urban Meyer said? Urban Meyer didn't smack nobody on national TV. (laughs) We got to write a seven-piece expose on the toxicity of Urban Meyer joking about whether or not he knew who Aaron Donald is. I haven't seen any of these white media dudes say anything about Will Smith or Juwan Howard. It's some funny stuff. It's an upside-down world, man. You can smack somebody on TV. Not a word said. Nothing. Bad guy. Oh, I apologize. Not who I am. Or you can try to make a football team better. Breaking news. Toxicity. I heard some lady on ESPN, Courtney something. Courtney, I don't know. She was talking about what a horrible person Urban Meyer is, and I think somewhere in the interview she'd never met him not saying Urban Meyer's great, but damn. Actually, I am saying Urban Meyer's great. Love Urban Meyer. If that makes me a good guy, great. Makes me a bad guy, great. Why doesn't it make Jawan Howard's friends bad guys? He smacked somebody on TV. Will Smith walked up on stage on a global thing and smacked Chris Rock. Of course, nobody's going to make fun of Chris Rock, but I got to tell you, I'll make fun of Chris Rock. He looked like a little batch. Oh, yeah, really? All right. He got to live with now. He got smacked on TV. Now, in my neighborhood, I'm not from Juwan Howard, you know, the South Side. But in my neighborhood, that makes fun of you. We'll make fun of you for a long, long time. But hey, I am a work in progress. So anybody that wants to criticize this segment, remember, I am a work in progress. This is not the man that I hope to be, and I'm a man, and only God can judge me. Athletes, learn them, love them, memorize them, know them. I'm a man. Only God can judge me. Well, you know, I just... Did whatever, only God can judge me. Hey, I'm sorry, Judge, but you know what? Only God can judge me, and uh, uh, I'm a work in progress. Well, Dan, let me tell you something. (laughs) You know, what the hell are we doing? Boom! Hey, I apologize. Okay. The entitled, man. This is not about anything other than the entitled and the fear of the media. I love it. It's the best. It's the funniest-ish going right now. It is. I love it. Hey, at least Juwan Howard got suspended for a little bit. And mark my words, in college basketball, you're going to see more stupid. As these older coaches get gone, you're going to see more and more stupid. You may even see it this weekend. Let me see. The average age of coach, uh, Jay Wright's older than me. Self is my age. K, older, no, Hubert Davis, younger. So, yeah, probably not. Woo! Hey, anything I say on this show from now on, or anything I say on my uh, noon show, and Dana from The Star writes a hit piece on me, or Greggy, or anyone, remember, remember, I'm a work in progress. I am. I shouldn't be held to any standards. I should be able to walk on a stage on national TV, smack somebody, and give an apology, and then wait for the guy that got his ass smacked to give the same apology. I love it. Uh, I'll tell you what else I love. I love college basketball. I love women's college basketball. Last night I'm watching, and last night uh, both games, Louisville – Taking on, uh, excuse me, Michigan, but first I'm going to go to UConn, North Carolina State. Let's be honest. Let's just be honest. The whole thing is set up for UConn. You know, somebody in the college, in women's college basketball world said, hey, look, maybe it was Tara Vanderberg. Maybe it was, uh, no, no, it was, uh, God dang it, I really like her. She was a Notre Dame coach. She said, "Hey, look, this whole thing with ESPN—it's all set up for UConn, and it is. UConn's a two seed. North Carolina State's a one seed. Guess where they had to play? 80 miles outside of Stores, Connecticut, in Connecticut at Bridgeport. You think that ain't set up for UConn? UConn wins, and UConn—it was a great game. Uh, UConn's Paige Bo- Be- Beckers was tremendous. Man." She's fun to watch, coming off a knee injury. Loved watching her. But I also got to tell you, the ladies from North Carolina State, and remember, when you say something like ladies or women, or you got to be so careful now because everybody's whining about every word you say. So I got to say the ladies, okay? The ladies of North Carolina State. I don't know if I can say women. I don't know if I can say kids. The ladies. We got to be politically correct in everything you do when you – when you look like this. All right. So, having said that, the ladies from North Carolina State were unbelievable. My goodness. Clutch shot after clutch shot. Three with about two tenths of a second left from the right corner. It was one of the best basketball games you're ever going to see. It really was. And Gino Oriyama who could coach anything, any sport, anywhere, anytime, and be successful, rolls on to his 14th straight Final Four, which is unbelievable. It speaks to two things, how good he is and how bad the rest of women's basketball is. You should not have that. Look, I understand uh, if you're doing that, I don't know, at UCLA in the 70s, but everybody in college basketball, men's and women's, have put money, and I mean real money, into women's basketball. And for Gina Oriema in Stores, Connecticut, to dominate like he has certainly speaks to his greatness, but uh, ladies, let's go. I said the same thing when Bill Self was rolling through the Big 12, and people got pissed off at me that were coaching in the Big 12. They're paying you a lot of money. Can you win a Big 12 title over Bill Self? Let's go. It's the same thing in women's college hoops. I mean, somebody, let's go. I mean, these folks, it's not like he's recruiting to freaking, I don't know, Nashville, or he's recruiting to UCLA. He's recruiting to stores, Connecticut. What a great job he's done, honest to God. But let's go. Somebody challenge him. I get it. South Carolina's good. I get it. Notre Dame has been good. North Carolina State has been good. But this dude lost his best player, still gets a two seed, and still rolls into his 14th straight Final Four. And you can call this whatever you want. I said the same thing about men's program. you got to be careful here. Uh, The men's programs of the Big 12, as I'm saying about the women's program's of the NCAA. Do better. Challenge this guy. You're all being paid a lot of money. You put a lot of, y'all got practice facilities. You got TV cart. Let's go. One guy can't dominate like this in the modern era, but good for him that he does. Don't at me, people. I want to hear it. I'm a work in progress. Uh, Michigan, Louisville. Man, Hillman is one of my favorite players. My son went to Michigan. We watched the game the other day. We root for Michigan. But I got to tell you, Haley Van Lith, a sophomore, is a badass. My wife taught me about this athletic movement. She goes, Dan, when you recruit in women's sports, and she's the all-time winningest coach at Bowling Green State University and at Syracuse, she's a first-team All-American, took Toledo to the NCAA Women's uh, Softball World Series, a Mac school. First time it had ever been done. She's like, you look at athletic movement. Man, speaking of athletic movies, I do it in the guys, too. I mean, look, in guys, we call it being stiff. Are you stiff? Can he dance? Like I always told Steve Alford, the great player at Indiana, his son Bryce was playing at UCLA. Steve was one of the great college players of all time. His son, really good, don't get me wrong. But his son could dance a little bit. Steve couldn't dance. Well, Haley Van Lith, I'm I, I telling you, I'm watching her, and I'm like, damn, what a player. She had 22 last night, and I mean, when they needed a press broke, they broke it. She broke it. When they needed a ball to come up with, she did it. It was terrific. It was, and it's fun. It's really fun. And now you got South Carolina, Don Staley and her crew. I watched them the other night. That Aaliyah Boston is too much. And then, of course, Tara Vandiver, who is an absolute legend defending champs at Stanford. You got a Final Four that I'm telling you is a lot of fun. It is. I mean, you know, at the end of the day, people can say whatever they want. There's so many people out there that still discriminate against women's sports. I do not. I am a big proponent of women's sports. My whole household is women's sports. We fly a Harvard softball flag because the Crim and my uh, stepdaughter, the beautiful Tegan Shaw, are rolling at Harvard. My wife does games for Big Ten Network. She's going to go back into coaching as soon as her daughter uh, gets out of school. I'm all in on women's sports. Don't come at me with your uh, discrimination. Actually, if you say you don't like women's sports, that's not discriminatory. That's just personal choice. I happen to like them. You may not. That's your choice. I ain't mad about it. Hell, I don't like a lot of men's sports. I mean, if I'm going to sit down and watch TV, it better be good, or else I'm going to reruns to Curb Your Enthusiasm and don't at me. I get, I get crazy when people get so mad when somebody says, well, I don't like watching women's basketball. Okay, that's your choice. I remember a few years ago there was a writer for, like, Sports Illustrated. Everybody attacked him. Are we not allowed to have our own choice anymore? It's ridiculous. I happen to love it. I happen to watch I watched all four games. In fact, yesterday was appointment TV. Now, I'm not going to lie to you. Put a little money on both. One yesterday, the road to 5,000 is actually at 4,400 now because of last night's game. But I digress. I'm all in. I love it. But I'm just a work in progress. Remember, Jennifer and Sean and all you guys and gals out there, the three things. I'm a man. That's what football players always say when someone critic basketball. I'm a man. Hey, only God can judge me. Okay. And the beautiful, I, a work in progress. Use it, know it, love it, be it, and don't ever forget it. Don't ever forget it. I am a work in progress. And if you say that, that covers you, Period. I'm a work in progress. And every white guy in the media goes, oh, that's good by me. Uh, all right. Well, that's 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 good by me. Don't call me a nothing. Don't call me a bad name. Don't be an ist. <laughs> that's why. Hey, look, I am one of the rare dudes in the media. I just treat everybody the same. Men, women, black, white. What are you going to do? Where I grew up, you treat everyone the same or you got your ass kicked. Serbian? If you're Serbian, I'll treat you better. We'll drink Slevo. All right. Albert Pujols returns to the Cardinals for one final year. Now, why is this important? Albert Pujols hasn't been seen forever. Here's why I think this is important. This is important because basketball doesn't do this. Basketball, there's infighting about greatness. Like if you go to Isaiah Thomas's Twitter feed, he does not like, and it's awesome, and I've told Isaiah this. I think it's great. He does not like... Michael Jordan, he doesn't like it at all. He will tell you because this is a jab at Michael Jordan. And maybe Isaiah thinks this way. I I don't really know. Maybe he does. I don't know. But he thinks that Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, all right, and LeBron James are the two best players ever. And he might be right. Like when I say the two best players ever, I say, hey, look, It's Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and Michael Jordan from what I saw. Now, I say Isaiah Thomas the best little guard I've ever seen. I'll tell you, magic is better than bird in my world. But Isaiah, all right. So basketball, there's all this infighting. In baseball, it feels like you just celebrate the greatness. Like, you just like, hey, Albert Pujols, there isn't really a, is he better than? There's just, he's great. Mays, great. Mantle, great. Aaron, great. You know, that's just what baseball does. And I think it's pretty cool. So Albert Pujols is going back to St. Louis. I don't know. The dude's 42 years old. He's battled plantar fasciitis. And if you've ever had plantar fasciitis, it ain't a lot of fun, man. He agreed to a one-year 2.5 Million-dollar deal. He's got 679 home runs. The dude has been a stud. But Albert Pujols coming back, I think, is great. Now, he's about five years. He stayed about five years too long as a baseball player. But you know what? Who cares? I always said this, and I think a lot of you would agree with this. I'm curious if you would. If you were a college basketball player, or a professional athlete, wouldn't you stay as long as you could? Like, I, I don't understand. There are some of these guys that are opting out. Like, well, you know, I'm not coming back for my sixth year of college. Where the hell are you going? <laughs> like, where, where, where are you going? Are you going, oh, I don't know, to work? I'm going to ask the YouTube chat, Sean, Brad, Ed, Brian, Georgie, do you want to work? You're 23 years old. What the hell? You got the rest of your damn life to work. Sean Black, El Presidente, says, hell yeah, I'm staying. You got the rest of your life. You start at 23. Hell, I'm 60. 59, when I got out of college at 22 or 23, whatever it was, I guess it was going to be 23, started as a graduate assistant. I worked every day, basically from that point till now, whether it was coaching, whether it was broadcasting. I mean, you're always doing something. What's the hurry? You know what I'd do in a sixth year? Shoot. That's exactly what I would do. I'd work my ass off, but I'd enjoy the living hell out of my second master's. I wouldn't care about any part of school. I'd get a condo at a place and an apartment with a great pool and all kind of co-eds and all kinds of students. And I'd have the greatest time of my life. I'd work out like crazy. I'd be there in the gym the whole time. And then about, I don't know, six, seven o'clock, I'd be back out in a lounge chair at the pool. I'd buy the place out of Natty Light. Get a little NIL money in my pocket. Where are you going? Same thing in baseball. I applaud. Right, George Monahan. I'm 65 years old, still working. I'll be working. It's fun. It's great. Don't get me wrong. But damn. Where are you going? Same thing with Paul. Paul's 42. Paul's 42 years old. You know what that means? He doesn't, I'm guessing, ever have to work again. But why not? Why not go back to the Cardinals? Why not keep that uniform on? What the hell? Seriously. I mean, I don't understand why Why that isn't automatic. But, hey, look, the world is different. I don't understand the world. You know why? Say it with me. I'm a work in progress. Slap so I'm a work in progress. Chris Rock got batch slapped. Didn't do a damn thing about it. Anyway, all right. 259 days in counting. ABC, CBS, and NBC have not covered the any part of the Hunter Biden laptop case. Just gonna keep you up to date. I just saw that from Clay's Twitter. Just wanna keep you up to date on that, just to make damn sure uh, that we keep track because I think it's important although apparently they don't. You think the media isn't slanted? (laughs) That's why eventually, within a year, this will be the best show on TV. America, by the way, still owes Allison Williams an apology. All right, Jimmy G is not going to be released. All right, Jimmy G. For some reason, we're all infatuated with Jimmy G. You know, he's a very handsome guy. He's got a Subway commercial. It's a pretty good commercial. And look, he is a very handsome man. And he's got this kind of thing where, I don't know, he's got it. I can tell it. I remember the first time I saw Urban Meyer at Bowling Green, he, was, he conducted a workout. I'm like, oh, baby. I called my friends at Indiana and said, hey, you guys better keep an eye on this guy to be the next coach. They made fun of me. That's all right. But Jimmy G has it. Jimmy G's not going to be released. I'll tell you what smart teams do. Smart teams come out and say, hey, we're not releasing. You know why? Because somebody still needs a quarterback. I'm looking at you, Carolina Panthers. Somebody still needs a quarterback, and guess what, Seattle Seahawks? Guess what? Jimmy G is going to be a hot commodity as soon as the reports come out that his surgery is all right and he's on the way back and they can get something for him. And oh, by the way, I know Trey Lance is the next great thing. I'm sure he is. Can't wait to see him play. But, but, there's no guarantees on that, and it seems to me that the San Francisco 49ers are one of safety's bad hands away from being in the Super Bowl, if you remember. So Jimmy G's not being released. I don't blame you. Look, I don't blame you a bit, and even if he's the backup to Trey Lance, you know one thing you can almost guarantee yourself at some point in the NFL with a running quarterback, an inexperienced running quarterback? They're going to get hurt. Seriously, running quarterbacks that don't have a lot of experience are going to get hurt. See Robert Griffin III. See Andrew Luck. Andrew Luck just refused to slide. He wouldn't do it. Cost himself a career. But the truth of the matter is, when you are a young quarterback, you're young and wild. You remember how you were young and wild? You're driving down the street. You stop at the liquor store. Somebody jumps out and gets you some Mad Dog 2020. Next thing you know, you walk in, and you don't even know where the hell you are in the park. You're just young and wild. You sleep outside in the grass. Who wants to sleep outside in the grass? I don't want to sleep outside in the grass. Young and wild. It's no different just because you're a professional quarterback. You play young and wild. And if I'm the San Francisco 49ers, hey, look, man, I want somebody out there that I know can back up a young quarterback that's going to be running all over the place because history dictates quarterbacks that run a lot are going to get hurt. I mean, I'm a historian. No, I'm not. I'm a work in progress. Say it with me. Work in progress. Coming up in a few minutes, Porter Mosier did something, ladies and gentlemen, that I never in my lifetime thought would be done. I'm not kidding you. I didn't think it'd be done. I didn't think Loyola of Chicago would ever get to the Final Four. I didn't. Like when I grew up, they were pretty good. Alfredric Hughes, my years, they were pretty damn good. And they had, I think, the number one team in the country. But I never thought in this modern era that Loyola would get to the Final Four. The guy that took them there. And by the way, Sister Jean is awesome. I get all that. She's wonderful. She's the best. But the truth of the matter is uh, Sister Jean did not take him to the Final Four. She helped. Porter Mosier did. And by the way, Dylan, I forgot to tell you, this is going to be a radio interview. I'm so sorry. I totally forgot to tell you guys. But anyway, a phone interview, not a radio interview. But Moser is going to join us coming up in a few minutes. He's now at Oklahoma. The one team that I think is interesting in this Final Four, everybody's going to talk about K, right? I mean, that's going to be the deal. North Carolina, Duke, everybody's going to talk about it. But when you watch performance, the Kansas Jayhawks played their you-know-what's-off particularly on the defensive end. I mean, they made Miami, an athletic team, look sick. They did. In the second half, it was all Miami could do to get a damn shot off. I want to talk to Porter, who's the coach at Oklahoma, about Kansas. What makes them so good? What does he think? Because he's coached against them, man. He's been on the side. He has had to. You know, he has had to go out and scout them. So, nobody's going to know the Kansas Jayhawks better. I think Kansas is the one team in this that's undervalued. I think we're looking at 32 and 16. Can I say that again for you? 32 and 6. Damn. How about that? You know, they played a three point game at Oklahoma. They played a two-point game at Kansas, so Porter Mosier knows about Kansas. We'll also get into Duke. We'll also get into a lot of different teams. You know, what he thinks. How's his deal down at Oklahoma? Then at 10 o'clock, Allison Williams is going to join us. I'm sorry, but I don't want Sister Geraldine when I was in third grade teaching me about sex. Now, if that makes me a bad guy, great. And I don't know one person that does. Sorry, I went to St. Peter and Paul, Gary, Indiana. I don't want Mrs. Popovich. I didn't want, I forget my first grade teacher. I did not want them talking to me about sex. You know what I wanted to do? I wanted to go on the playground and have a great day. My daughter is a fourth grade teacher. She don't want to be teaching people about sex. <laughs> I mean, what the, moms and dads, where are you? So anyway, we'll get into all that. The the very falsely named don't say gay, Bill. For whatever the reason, Disney's decided they got to get involved. Allison Williams will join us. Doug Gottlieb will break it down. Monster for you. I got a monster for you all morning, 9 to 11. Uh, next, we've got Porter Mosier, the head coach of the Oklahoma Sooners. He played the brakes off Kansas twice. Stay right here. Tell your friends. Let's go. Retweet our show on your Twitter account, please. Let's go. Let's go. Have a, be right back. We'll be right back. We're going to take a short break here. We're rolling. I mean, rolling right now with Don't At Me. And of course, you don't want to miss it. Stay tuned right here for more Don't At Me. Hey, Oklahoma fans, I wanted to do the interview without him having to be in the car. He could be on the phone, but Porter Mosier, he's so technologically sound that he can do them both. Ladies and gentlemen, hey! Thanks for joining us, my friend.
1: You're headed to recruit, right? That's the lifeblood. Let's go! Let's go! We, we, you know, we got to be recruit. And uh, I know I was just joking with you. Know I thought at first it would be a phone call, and I'm driving. And your guy sent me a Zoom link. And you know, guys our age, when we got tech problems, we call our teenagers. And I, I'm a lone soldier here in the car, so uh, I'm all good, Dan. Good to be with you, my friend. How do you? How do you like Oklahoma? I love it. I love it. Um, I'm 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 so lucky of a guy that I can love where I came from and love where I'm at. And that's really blessed on my part. And I just think the vibe at Oklahoma, um, the, the fan base, the student body, the city of Norman, um, and then my leadership. I think you talk to any coach in the country right now, in any sport, they'll tell you one of the biggest things is alignment with their leadership. And Joe Castiglione, our athletic director, and Joe Harris, our president, I mean, could not be – a better alignment with all the coaches. And uh, so very blessed, very excited, and, uh, and very excited to go get on the road recruiting. Hey, let
0: me, let me go through it. Uh, Joe Castiglione is one of the all-time great leaders in college uh, basketball. When you left Loyola, you had done amazing things. I just said, look, I grew up in that area. If you'd have told me Loyola without El Frederick Hughes would have gone to the Final Four, I'd say, man, I don't know. You do that. You love the place. What about Joe? What about Oklahoma made you come?
1: Well, I'll tell you what, I had that same kind of uh, alignment at Loyola with Steve Watson and, and the fan base there. And, you know, we went to the Final Four and I stayed and I loved it there. I'm from Chicago and it. Uh, I had been looked at a couple other situations. And um, then we went on that run last year to the Sweet 16 and it was just, it was something about, you know, the timing of, of getting to this level. Um, it was something about, their vision of, of how you how they want to do it, um, the right way, the people they've had success al- almost in every sport. You look at softball, golf, gymnastics, football, basketball, um, golf. They they're they're, it's, they're wired across the board, and I just loved how their leadership just was about the people, the family atmosphere here, and it just seemed different to me. But I had that alignment at Loyola, and I'm, I'm man, I'm, it's it's awesome here at, at Oklahoma to have that alignment.
0: Oklahoma is the only place, when I was recruiting somewhere, it must have been Tulsa, I don't know if it's even close, but I drove over, wherever I was, I drove over, and Porter, to your point, it's the only place where I went to go see every facility. You know what I mean? Like, usually you go, you want to see the football. Hell, I went to the softball, the baseball. I mean, I went everywhere because I thought it was freaking awesome. Like, I thought Oklahoma might be... I don't know, as good a place as there is to go to college and play sports.
1: I tell you, they they, they do it across the board. I, when I pull into the Lloyd Noble Center at our office, I drive by the rowing facility. The rowing has their own huge yeah. facility, <laughs> and I drive by that every day. Um, but, you know, I just – and it's just they really care. They really care, and uh, I think that's a really cool part of, about Oklahoma.
0: Stacking recruiting classes, you're on your way. Uh, no more sixteen-hour days where you're driving for four hours. You're going here, you're going there. Drive. You got a plane taking you places. That's one of the benefits. But in your position, stacking recruiting classes, you mentioned it off the air. That's the important thing right now, is it not?
1: It is. It's stacking and retaining, um, because it's uh, it's something where when you take over a job, you know for for. For a lot of us, all of a sudden everybody's in the portal. I had I had to sign ten. And you're not gonna hit on ten. You're not gonna keep happy ten. You know, all those and, and it's hard. So you've got to keep stacking, get some good players, have a great system of development, and then you gotta have a safe a great system of retaining that they, they enjoy your culture. They enjoy, you know, grinding and working and in, in, in that, that system. They know you care. And uh so that's I think that's just so big right now because with with guys being able to leave and girls being able to lead so easily, you know, you've got to, you've got to stack some classes and get your roster right and then develop them. Um, but it's a double-edged sword, Dan. I feel for there's a lot of levels that they take a kid, they develop them and then they want to go to a higher level or you take a kid and he doesn't play and you want to go where you're going to play. So, cause there's, there's something to be said, with sticking with it, getting better, getting better, getting better in your program. And getting older in your program where you know the culture, instead of just jumping so fast. And we got to keep searching for those guys that want to that want to pay the price, work, grind, get better, and be a part of something. But you got to stack them. You got you can't. You got to have good recruiting classes in a row.
0: When you when you made the jump, you obviously coached in the Final Four, and I want to get to that. But when you made the jump, and all of a sudden you're going. You know, from Loyola to the Big 12, where it's as good a basketball as there is, and obviously you would be making a move to the SEC. What was the biggest adjustment, not for the team, but for you? What was your biggest adjustment as a coach?
1: You know, I think the biggest adjustment um, for me, it wasn't like the – I mean, obviously, every coach will tell you, in their league, leagues are relative. Every league, whatever level, it's a grind in your own league. They know each other. Like in the Missouri Valley, it's a grind. Everybody knows each other. It's really well coached. So the grind of a league now this year, the big 12 was is just, it was just something special. You know, It's just, you had so many top teams, top defenses, but I think the biggest adjustment for me was at Loyola, I stayed old, you know, and I, I, I had every year, I had seven or eight guys that knew what we wanted to do defensively, knew the terminology, knew what we wanted to do offensively, spacing and everything. And then I get here and I, I had to, not only the players didn't know each other, they were all new. They didn't know me. And it was just that adjustment of so many new guys, so much, you know, they were new to each other. I just think that's a real tough situation. You're seeing a lot of jobs open a lot of new coaches. And with this transfer portal, sometimes you're going to get eight or nine new guys and you're trying to establish your identity as a team. That's an adjustment. That's an adjustment.
0: What, what, what did you learn from your, your run to the Final Four and then last year your run, you know, through Illinois in Indianapolis to the Sweet 16? What did you learn?
1: You know, it's, it's so much about the players, you know, and the journey with them um, and having a close-knit group because there's going to be adversity along the way. You've got to be close to handle the adversity. There's going to be bad games along the way. And then there's going to be bad runs in the, in that tournament. I mean, everybody's really at a high level in that tournament and there's going to be runs against you. And do you stay together during those runs? I, 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 I've told this story many times on my, on the final four year that our second game, we beat Miami on the buzzer. Everything was like unbelievable. I mean, we get back to the hotel. It's like Mardi Gras. I mean, it's, it's the Loyola fan base is beside themselves. And we had to prepare for Tennessee, who was really, really good in 48 hours. So the first, by the, the first three minutes of Tennessee, it was like you went into a street fight with your arms tied behind your back. I mean, it was like 12 to 2 before we could even breathe. I called the timeout. I gathered everybody really close, and I bent down because, you know, you got a million TV cameras in your ear trying to get in the huddle. And uh, I went off on the team. I just snapped. And I, I had done it like that all year about – how hard we come where this isn't who you are. You know, you're on the stage and they walked out and they kind of looked at each other and there's a picture of it. And they were just kind of nodding their heads up and down. Like, yep, yeah. we came back and we ended up, we're up leading that half. And you got to have that trust when you're, when you're in that, that thing that you got to have that trust amongst your team. Cause you're going to face some adversity. Um, I learned, you got to have skill. You got to have guys make shots. I mean, I mean, I'm, I'm looking at this tournament defenses are so elite the coaching, the scouting, the technology to to, to have it at your fingertips to, to break down tape so fast and, and take away other teams think. Guys that can get some separation. I look at it in this in this um, Kansas. I'm very familiar with Kansas, obviously the big twelve. You know, a guy like Remy Martin, he can go get some separation so quick on his shot. I um, don't sleep on Obaji. People are saying like he's got it that kid's incredible. I mean the way I mean, the watch all year the shots he got off. Um, heck, watch our game at Lloyd Noble Arena. He comes off screens, flares uh, sideline, bounce plays. He gets hot. You got to have some guys get some separation. I'm looking at the Duke game, uh, man, in the North Carolina game. Some guys that can get separation. You really need some guys that can do that and make some shots at that in this level in this tournament.
0: You, you've been recruiting a long time. Um, Is recruiting changed in that vein? You know, more of the dribble, more of one-on-one, spread and go. You know, in football they call it you got to get a guy out in space. Has that changed the way you recruit?
1: It does. I mean, I've been playing with four guards in a big for a long time, and a lot of people are too. And uh, we had kind of a unicorn in Cameron Crutwick, you know, but he played out. He played on the perimeter a lot, but then he posted up. But he wasn't one of those guys on the perimeter that was going to shoot threes or – he, up. he was just going to facilitate with his incredible passing ability. Um, and I think, you know, it's very hard to have two guys, one through four, that can't shoot. I think it is. I think, I mean, I think that recruiting is is, is intentional, you know, with the skill level. So when you start putting two guards out of your four on the floor that can't shoot, you're seeing teams sag off them, pack in, take away I just think that's something that we do look at intentionally—is that shooting. Um, but I do think you've got to recruit to who you are. You know, if you're a pressing team, if you're an offensive rebound team, if you're a team switching one through five, the, you'll see that a lot. Teams recruiting to length. I look at Texas Tech. Texas Tech switches one through five. They're, there's nobody smaller than six five on Texas Tech. They, they were intentional in recruiting to that and highly unbelievably effective. And I think. I think you got to be intentional in what you want to do and who you do. It's not just this one blanket form in recruiting. It's who you are.
0: When uh, let's go back to Kansas for a second. I thought their defense in the second half was second to none. Uh, they they not only did they take Miami out. Miami was so uncomfortable. Is that something you saw pretty much across the board this year in the in the Big Twelve with Kansas?
1: I saw it eighteen games in a row across the Big Twelve. And you know. <laughs> the Big Twelve had all 10 teams like in the top 35 in defense. And that's just insanity. You know, all ten teams were. Um, but with Kansas, you know, they're, you know, they're so well disciplined. They're tough. Um, McCormick moves, he's big. Then you come in with Lightfoot, they can switch. Jalen Wilson is so long. Obaji, then you got Braun. Braun is like six seven, six eight. Obaji's six six. Wilson six eight. I mean, they're really long. And then you, when you throw in, they're, they're really well-disciplined and, and they play tough. I mean, it, it, that's there's a lot of combinations in there that make them so good defensively. Um, but, you know, I just think they got a lot of, you know, K.J. Adams, they got a lot of different looks at the bigs, McCormick, Lightfoot, and, and Adams in there. Um, but I just, they're, they're they're like the whole Big 12. They're really physical. They're really long. They're going to take away some things. You, you, they're not going to give you a lot of room to get your shot off, and when they do, there's six, eight, six, nine coming at you. So, I, 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 their defense was spectacular all year, and it was spectacular in, in, against that Miami team. Hey, uh, Duke,
0: Carolina, what do you see there?
1: Man, it', it like storybooks kind of stuff. Um, you know, the, the rivalry. I mean, the rivalry. Obviously, uh, the last game at Cameron. Um, final four, meeting in the final four, just so many things. Um, I see, I see some high level players playing with a lot of passion, obviously. Um, You know, I, I think North Carolina is playing at a high level. I mean, from where they are, Uh, the Oklahoma transfer, Brady Manick, you know, gets a lot of separation, you know, takes them to a different level and you got a a four that can stretch like him. Um, But I just think there's something about Duke right now. Um, You know, the way they're playing and, the pieces they have, they have so many different guys that can come at you and score, they can shoot, they can post you up, they can defend, they can block shots. Uh, I just see one of those games that, as a basketball fan, you're just going to want to sit down and just lock in. And uh, you're going to want to hear the narrative, too. You know, sometimes the people, the bars across America will be full. um, And you're going to want to hear the narrative, too. I just think it's going to be a great game for college basketball with the stakes and the stage. Did you ever? Did Manic was he was he leaving no matter what? Yeah, he was in the portal when I got here. I actually did get to talk to him, um, but I, you know, I, I he was. I I think he was had his mind made up that he was leaving. Uh, nice kid, um, and you know, you can't you, you take new jobs. You understand some of these kids sign on for new coaches, and you can't wish them any ill will. Um, he's actually got fulfilling a dream come true. So you just got to be happy for him and his family. Uh, you, you you know. You can't sit here and go, "What if? What if?" But he's a good kid, and I, I wish him the best. And heck, he's living out a lifelong dream, and it worked out for him.
0: Man, you're talking about narratives, um, Coach K. Have you ever, during your career, and I'm gonna, I'll, I'll get you out of here on this. Have you ever, during your career, have, have you studied Coach K? You know, Chicago guy, that kind of thing. Have you ever interacted? And if you have, what are your thoughts?
1: I loved his book when i was coming up as a young coach i think i was uh, 31 years old when i got it was the sad and i I think were the youngest head coaches in college basketball i was at little rocket i think he just got butler and uh i was 31 and i read his book leading with the heart and i thought his book was awesome i've studied his leadership style i've studied his you know stuff like that with him you know just you know from afar i got to know him here the last through the Final Four, I did his radio show, and then I got to see him. I kind of knew through him. My college coach, Tony Barone, was a dude guy, Chicago guy, and uh, was friends with Coach K. Um, but I just think there's something about his leadership, you know, that, that is something that I've studied with him. And, and uh, you saw it evident with Duke. Then you saw it with the USA Olympic team. And to have that kind of sustained success, holding kids accountable to a high level, because make no mistake, he holds them accountable and has that kind of love in the room. I think accountability has to have love and trust. And I I think that's something his leadership style has always had.
0: That's well said. Hey, Porter, I can't thank you enough for spending a few minutes, you know, dangerous time driving and talking to us. I'm not taking my eyes. Thank you so much. You've always been great. Hey, Dan,
1: this is a good thing (laughs) because I got my eyes on the road, not on you. So I I don't even see what you look like anymore. But uh, I'll tell you this. No. I got to say this. I saw – my friend Allison Williams is coming up next. College basketball and college football missed her on the sidelines. She is truly one of the best at her profession, the best people. So I, I was proud to be a warm-up for her. one of the best in the business, and I wish her well. we got a great one <laughs> coming up.
0: On. Yeah, she's a great friend. We worked together for years, Tariko, myself, and her, and she was just – you're right. She's freaking awesome. College football, basketball – Hey, man, I hope this is a productive day for you. I, I hope wherever you go in the four cities, you get whoever the hell you want, man. We're rooting for you. You've always been great with hey, me, and I can't thank d- you enough, Porter. Dance, thank you.
1: Same with me, and I'm praying, too, and it works well today. So, have a good one. Be safe. We'll see you, my friend.
0: You, too. Thank you. That's Porter Mosier. Uh, driving through the plains, baby. Of. Uh, of Oklahoma getting ready to get on a plane. See, when you're at when you're at Loyola, you ain't getting on a plane, baby, and just going out to four different places. That I loved. Like, I loved getting in a plane with Coach Knight. He'd fall asleep. We'd go four different places. It beat the living hell out of driving. Sitting there with Coach Knight, he always had to drive. He'd be driving – I'd be driving – Everything you say was tested, but in a plane, I'd sit over here. He can get over there. But he's always been great, man. Porter Mosier is terrific. And you're going to see Oklahoma, I think you're going to see Oklahoma do the things that you expect out of Oklahoma. And I'm serious when I say this about Oklahoma. When I went there, I forget what I was doing. I think I was recruiting in Tulsa or whatever city's closer, Oklahoma City or Tulsa, I don't even know but I drove over I had an afternoon and I drove over on campus. I'm a big always have been uh softball fan. My dad was a was a legendary fast pitch softball player all across the Midwest. My first games were softball and I got to Oklahoma and yeah, I went to Lloyd Noble. Yeah, I went to the football stadium. Yeah, I snuck around the basketball office, but I wanted to see all the facilities, the baseball facility, the softball facility, the campus itself is it tremendous. I did the same thing. I did the Oklahoma, uh, Oklahoma Northwestern game when Trey Young was there, and I got to tell you, it was the same thing, man. When you go there, there are a lot of places now. Used to be few places, but there are a lot of places now. When you go there, there are just expectations of greatness. Like if you've ever been to Fog Allen. Fog Allen isn't necessarily the greatest place. It's the gym that Kansas plays in. It's not like, wow, holy cow, right? This is insane. No, it wasn't that. It's when you go in the lobby and it's like a museum, the history. If you're a player there or if you're a fan there, you expect greatness. At Norman, in Norman, Oklahoma, because of the facilities and all the history of baseball and softball and basketball and football and all the legends, man. And then you go to Duke, and they got a museum right there in the lobby where where Kay's Tower is. It's pretty cool. It, it really is. It's a. It's a. There are certain places where you walk into, and you just have expectations of greatness. I'm not gonna lie to you. I've never been on Villanova's campus, so I assume, you know, with all the greatness of Villanova, I assume Villanova has that. I mentioned Kansas. I mentioned Duke, North Carolina. Here's what you do at North Carolina. Swear to God, this is what you do. You go into the Dean Dome and if you ever get a chance and you're a basketball fan or you're just a sports fan, you go in the Dean Dome and you walk around the concourse and they have all these pictures and all this stuff, right? But then you look up and over here is, I mean, rows of retired jerseys. And the thing about the Dean, though, is you forget how many great players played at North Carolina. Like, you go, oh, yeah, man, Billy Cunningham was a first team. Antoine Jamison, shoot. Uh, Oh, man, I forget. Vince Carter played here. I mean, the legends of North Carolina. And you know what always made us proud at Indiana? Dean Smith had all them dudes. He had Jordan, he had Perkins, he had Kenny Smith, he had Worthy, he had all these guys. And we, under Coach Knight, with one guy, one guy ever making the NBA All-Star game, the great Isaiah Thomas, one guy, we won more national championships than Dean Smith. How about that? That's right. Back in the day in Indiana, toughness mattered. Back in the day in Indiana, integrity mattered. You won with slaps like me. Get into the Elite Eight. Didn't get to the Final Four because I turned the ball over. But you won with slaps like me. And I got to tell you, man, Oklahoma, I, hey, look, at the end of the day, Porter Mosier will have players there, but you know what you got to do, ladies and gentlemen? You got to beat the big dog. And you know who the big dog is? Rock Chuck, J-R-K-U. That's who you got to beat. So you got to beat in that damn uh... – I guarantee I'll bet you this. I'll bet you any money. If you talk to Calvin Sampson, who was a great coach, right, a great coach at Oklahoma, cheating bastard at Indiana, and now I guess a great coach at Houston – if you talk to him, I'll bet you he would tell you he regrets leaving Oklahoma. I would bet you anything, anything he regrets leaving Oklahoma. Anything you want. So, anyway, that's the lay of the land in college basketball. The final four set. The women's final four set. If you haven't seen uh, Paige Beckers, I think that's how you say her name. I don't know. I keep the volume down. I keep the volume down and I read a David Baldacci novel. If you haven't seen Paige Deckers, if you haven't seen Hillary Van Leith, if you haven't seen Alea Boston, you're going to love this women's final four because these girls can ball. I'm sorry, women or whatever, whatever I'm supposed to say. These young ladies, whatever you want me to say, I'm a work in progress. I'm a work in progress. So there you go. All right. Will Smith. I'm so sorry. I'm a work in progress. Chris Rock, I stepped over a line. He even mentioned Jada Pickett's name. Where's the media? Anyway, I'm just whining. Uh, we do have Allison Williams coming up. We do have Doug Gottlieb. We are going to preview the men's Final Four. And I got to tell you something, all right? I, I, you got to listen to me here. I'm killing it. You want to follow this show. The road to $5,000 is currently at 4400 last night we lost on the little bit I did not like I I, I wasn't sure about Yukon I didn't like it I didn't take a money line I should have but I loved me some Louisville so now all of a sudden a year ago I lose so much money I got to go doordash. You know what a pain in the ass door dashing is? Not ordering food. No, that's not what I mean. I mean going to pick it up and taking it to someone's house. I did that to pay my family back the four grand that I lost. And I did it. And it took me months. But I did it. I kept a journal. $4,032. In fact, just the other day I went again, so I got another $28. So, hey, I digress. $460. But I did it. This year, uh uh-uh. This year, going to Vegas, baby. Yes, sir. Going to Vegas with the money that we won from this tournament. We're going to get to five grand. And I'm going to Butch Harmon. I'm going to go see Butch Harmon at his golf academy because I want to become the world's greatest 60-year-old golfer. There you go. All right. Uh, Porter Mosier was great. Porter was absolutely fantastic. Uh, We thank Porter Mosier. Allison Williams is coming up. Look, ladies and gentlemen, if this, remember, I'm a work in progress. If, how many of you, I would be really curious about this. How many of you that have kids want the third, second, first grade kindergarten teacher talking to your kid about gender, about their sex, about sex? I don't. And if that makes me a bad guy, If that makes me, I'm not, I'm all for transgender people, go do your thing. But I don't need a freaking teacher uh, talking to my children. I want teachers to teach my kids reading, writing, arithmetic. That's it. I don't need to hear any. My neighbor, he took his kid out of a school. He's uh, He's got mixed race grandkids. They came home, and the stuff they were being taught at this elementary school here, he just took them out. The garbage that was thrown their way, he just took them out. I don't want my children, and my children are older now, I certainly would not have wanted to sit in with old Sister Geraldine in third grade telling me and Andy Atar about our sex. I'd have been like, yo, sister, we're going out and playing Brad Greenwell's team in baseball. What are you doing? Uh, If that makes me bad, you know, you get called immediately a bigot, a bully. I'm not bullying nobody. Uh, I am just telling you my opinion. And I would be curious how many of you actually out there want your children talked to about sex by a freaking, oh, I don't know, uh, grade school teacher. You tell me. All right, when we come back, Allison Williams, I'm going to ask you this point blank. And you know everybody in the country owes Allison Williams an apology. I mean, all of a sudden, we don't have to get vaccines. We don't have to wear masks. And what the hell? What the hell are those referees doing in the women's games last night wearing masks? Just stop the charade, will you please? We'll be right back. America owes A-dubs. Allison Williams an apology. Love having her on. And then Gottlieb at 1030. Oh, so good. We'll be right back. We'll be right back. We're going to take a short break here. We're rolling. I mean, rolling right now with Don't At Me. And, of course, you don't want to miss it. Stay tuned right here for more Don't At Me. Uh, I'm just sending a tweet out that said Porter Mosier was terrific just now. I'd love my my friend's kids to play for him. My kids are too old, or I would, uh, you know. You and Porter Porter gave you a massive oh. shout out. That man
2: loves him. He's, that's my guy. We um it's so funny when you how sometimes you meet people and you're like, "I like you just click with them and and you can tell they're good people. And that was the case when he went to the final four. Uh, with Chicago Loyola I was there covering it and and only interacted with him you know briefly here and there with some interviews and stuff and I just thought like this guy is really freaking cool and went to the Vital Gala um, that year and he had all four of the final four coaches there and I said to my husband before the event I said of all like the famous people you're going to meet and Jim Harbaugh speaking and um, you know there's all these legendary coaches Bill Self of course there that year and so forth and I said, of all the famous people you're going to see today, the one person I hope we really get to chat with and you get to spend some time with is Porter Moser. I was like, I interacted with him briefly at the final four. And I just think he's like a really freaking cool dude. And I was right. And we had a blast with him and his wife and, um, he has been a good friend since, and I'm just happy for his continued success. He's like, he's, he's seriously one of the most down to earth, just real, um, fun guys. And I'm, I'm sure you love talking with him because he's just, he's just the best.
0: Yeah, I've, I've known him for a long time when he was an assistant, and I was assistant. We actually, when he was assistant at Arkansas Little Rock, we played him twice, I think. Uh, and uh, but I've always liked the guy. I think he's great. Uh, all right. Will Smith said this, so okay. I'm using it. A dumps. I'm a work in progress. <laughs> Damn it, I'm a work in progress. When he apologized, but part of that work is not having fricking Sister Geraldine in third grade trying to tell me or Mrs. Popovich in second grade, trying to tell me and Andy Atar and all my buddies about sex. I And, and somehow, some way, because I didn't want that, I don't want that for my kids or anybody that I know. Uh, I'm a bad guy. I'm mm-hmm. transphobic. I'm not transphobic. I'm I, Good for transgender people. I just don't want them teaching my – not them. I just don't want teachers teaching my kids or asking my kids about sex in second and third grade. Why am I wrong? I
2: don't know. I don't know. And that's what concerns me is I think people – if they, if they know what's in the don't say gay bill, which you're referring to, right? The HR 1115 or whatever it is. Yeah. Um, if, they, if they know what's yeah. in it and they're uncomfortable with it, I, I still haven't heard a, a logical um, and I think accurate explanation of why. So like, how is this transphobic or how is this anti-gay? How is this um, ne- negatively impacting children who may be questioning some things? Like children at that age can we just put this in context they still believe in unicorns and the tooth fairy and santa claus and monsters under their bed and um like they believe they could be a rhinoceros i mean this is this is the beautiful naive imaginative world in which five seven you know five to seven year olds live and that's what this bill addresses is k through three so I'm just not sure how you think it's necessary for a teacher to explain to a child that like Jack wants to be Jill and Jill loves Jane, but Jane was really Johnny and everything is upside down. Like how why why do you think that's okay? Their their little brains um are are developing and are confused enough. And I just don't understand the place in a classroom for that. Um, there are ways to teach like love and acceptance and kindness and everybody's different but um, you know we're all we're all in this together and we're all human and and um, deserve to be treated kindly and fairly and and such and I think like those core values that then could help them grow up to be good and accepting people without talking about gender identity and sexual orientation at such a young age so I have yet to hear I think a legitimate argument for what is bad about this bill? It's like in specific terms because it's it's talked about very generally, right? Like they just label it something and say it's anti-gay or it's it's transphobic or discriminatory, but they don't explain how and, and why it's necessary to talk to a five-year-old about gender orientation. Like they don't even know how to properly use he, she, they, there, like in the English language, like the proper, they wouldn't even know the difference between there and there, right? Like T-H-E-Y-R-E and are so like how do we expect them to then try to re- deconstruct that and apply gender pronouns it, it's not fair to children and um I, I don't like the fact that people who can see that are being attacked like yourself and i'm sure i am and other people wouldn't like the majority of people have supported it too that's the other thing there was a poll that came out that was like 65 percent people support this so I I don't understand why it has become what it has become and who, and people who think a third grader shouldn't learn about sexual orientation, straight, gay, or otherwise um, are the bad people here.
0: There's two things. I mean, that, you immediately become a bully, a bigot, blah, 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 blah. And if you even have a conversation about, I don't know, Ukraine and, you know, then all of a sudden you stand with Putin. I don't stand with Putin. I just, I'm, these are important issues that we should have. I'll never understand. Now, look, maybe I am not in the right world. I don't know, but I'll never understand. Why is Disney? Why is Disney involved in this? What? 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 What are they doing?
2: I, I've tried to kind of figure that out too, and I guess because of their influence in Florida, which. It's super interesting in and of itself when people are upset with something that politicians do, they go and lobby the corporations because I guess they know that's who really runs this country, I guess. Um, <laughs> right. it, it, it's very telling right. and they donated some money to some of the uh, politicians that signed it and passed it. And so now the employees that put the pressure on, on um, Disney to stand up to the bill and they're vowing to fight it in court. Um, I, as a family oriented company, again, I understand you want to be inclusive in your policy and, and so forth. And I support that a hundred percent. I get that. But um, I still, even like with reading all the stuff from Bob Chapik and everything, I'm like, like, where is he explaining how this bill is problematic for the people and children of Florida? And and, and I didn't see that. I just saw him reacting to um, this outrage of his employees and, and so forth and the walkout and the letters and the I guess because he didn't oppose it enough in the beginning he's like I wasn't enough of an ally and all that and I think it just goes back to this mentality of if you like don't do exactly what um these people in these somewhat marginalized groups demand of you then you are um you know all the anti-labels they want to slap on you and Disney doesn't want that black eye but um it's, it's, it's a very bizarre situation to me. Like I understand the influence Disney has in Florida, but why this has fallen, um, upon them as a company so directly is, is a bit bizarre. And then the, you know, the direction that they've taken it and the vow they've made and statements they've made and, and so forth. Um, yeah, it's, I don't, Again, I I keep like reading like, okay, there's going to be an explanation of why these two relate and like it's going to, the dots are going to connect and it's going to make sense. I'm like, okay, well that's what they need to change. And I I still have not seen that.
0: No, they just scream and then the company reacts. Uh, I want to get to sports with you, but I can't just yet. (laughs) Um, What did you think of Will Smith and Chris Rock? What did you think of that whole thing?
2: I, I, I Okay, so I did not watch it live, and I'm I'm so mad because I wish I knew like my initial reaction when I saw it. I'm still right. I'm still not fully convinced it wasn't orchestrated or premeditated in some way. i like, but then I go back and I watch it. And I'm like, no way, that's real, right? But here, okay. Here's a couple of things that bother me. First of all, Will Smith's initial reaction is he's laughing um and then he he obviously sees jada's reaction and she's upset and then that triggers him and i think i think his reaction um the there are so many things that are so out of line that those comedians say in those award shows year after year that nobody reacts to i find it kind of odd that this one really triggered will in this way and maybe it's it's reflective of the past with like him and Jada and Chris Rock and some of the things Chris Rock has said in the past, maybe it triggered like some of the stuff he talked, Will Smith talked about in his book. Um, But a couple things that make me like, this is, this doesn't make sense. First of all, when Will Smith marches across the stage at no point does Chris Rock respond. Like, I feel like you would if somebody was really charging at you. Right. And maybe the, the, just the notion of like Will Smith and coming up and smacking, smacking the shit out of him was so out of this realm that he had no reason to but then when when will like winds up to smack him rock's standing there with his hands behind his back which is a weird place a weird way to stand right like when do you ever stand like that like both hands behind your back right and as he raises his fist he never brings anything up defensive nothing and then when he gets smacked he never touches his face like that's a natural human reaction you get smacked you touch your face like holy like that is a natural human right i mean like if I haven't been punched in the face. Have you been punched in the face? Okay. You, you, yeah. you touch your face. Like, like, did I get hit? Am I bleeding? Am I cut? My I eyes still attached? I don't know. So I thought that was really weird. Then, then in Will Smith's acceptance speech, it was so well crafted to allude to why he did what he did without directly alluding to it. He never directly addressed Jada or Chris Rock he never directly ap- apologized, but he alluded and explained and like made this analogy between, you know, Venus and Serena's dad and protecting her family that that felt crafted in a very short amount of time to allude to what he did. I don't know, something doesn't make up. And then and then <laughs> something doesn't make sense. And then, and then a part of me too is like, okay, now it's all anybody's talking about. So like, what are we being distracted from? <laughs> So, I don't know. Right, don't
0: know. right. What's yeah. coming? What, what's coming? Like, what,
2: what, what's it's coming It's a sleight of hand, right? Like, look yeah, over here, look, look over here, and then I'm going to do the magic trick with this Yes. Yeah.
0: I don't know. My wife always says, I'll be talking to her, and then I'll see something, and she's like, you go, oh, shiny, shiny, <laughs> shiny over here. She makes fun of me with this that. This is our shiny. I think there's some shiny. Yeah, I think there's... And also the, the Oscars are tanking. No one's talking about them. And next thing you know, it's all we're talking right. about. So I think the the conspiracy theory is pretty good. The one thing I will say is I did think that I, I did think that Chris Rock's reaction was like a guy that got his ass slapped. Mm-hmm. I did. I did think it was like, oh, what do I do here? I'm, uh, you know. But hey, they're actors. Mm-hmm. Right. I, I'm I'm not hundred percent. I'm not hundred percent either way. But I but you bring up really 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 good points. I do think this as a guy and there is history Mm -hmm. there between Smith and and Chris Rock and Jada Pinkett. I may laugh initially because it's supposed to be a funny event. And I look over here and she ain't laughing. And as you know, your husband knows your look. There's a look that I'm mad. There's a look that I'm pissed. There's a look that, hey, you better go do something. You know, I don't know. There's just a, you know, the different looks. It's like, you know, your child's cries, right? You know, the different (laughs) cries and you know the different looks, and you're like, ah, 100%. I got to go do something.
2: 100%. And I could totally (laughs) see that. and, And again, I understand like the history and stuff there, but don't you think it's weird too? He didn't get escorted out. I mean, I, Oh, I know really it's Will weird. Smith and he's like going to accept an award, but if you set the precedent that you can walk on stage and smack the shit out of a presenter or host and then go back to your seat and accept a, and it, like, I, I, I don't know. That's just super weird to me. So yes, I'm, I'm with you. I don't, I don't know a hundred percent one way or the other, if I think it's real or staged or fake or whatever, like, but just some things seem off in the whole, the whole thing is off though.
0: I agree. I my I have a friend who's a stand-up comedy he goes, Dan, I'll tell you this, man. It's you're gonna change the way a lot of us see things, because if you can walk up, the general public if the if the general public sees yeah. that in the Oscars a global event, you can walk up and smack the you know what out of somebody. <laughs> You think they won't do that at Crackers at in downtown well, Indy, too? You know, it's And like, how
2: often do... Yeah, that's like you know. what comedians do. They pick a few out of the audience, and they make fun of them, and they say some insensitive right. things and, like, borderline super offensive things. And you're like, oh, God, they really just said that. I mean, that's part of comedy is, like, that cringe moment. And, yeah, like, Rock's joke was insensitive and um, to anybody dealing with alopecia. I'm sure it wasn't appreciated. But, like, G.I. Jane was also a total badass, so... It wasn't outside the realm of what we normally hear from comedians in these types of situations. Um, and then to have that reaction, I don't know. This shit's crazy.
0: <laughs> it is crazy. It's insanity. Um, when Let's get to sports. Uh, first, I love this Final Four because it's got a lot of stories. Uh, your thoughts on Coach K?
2: I mean, this is why sports are amazing. Because if you wrote this script, they would reject it and say, like, it's just not believable, right? <laughs> like, it's it's just that freaking awesome um, that you have him hey, in the Final Four in his final season uh, playing UNC, their arch rival they've never faced in the NCAA tournament it's, it's, it's really quite unbelievable. Um, And I'm, I'm happy for him. I'm happy for the program. I just think, I just think it's going to be absolutely epic. And I can't even imagine like knowing what the energy is like at a Duke UNC game on a neutral site, um, whether it be in the ACC, in the ACC tournament, like imagining what it's going to be like in a football stadium. I mean, that place is going to be insane. And with what's on the line, I just think it's, 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 I, I can't freaking wait. Now I do feel like it, it's going to provide um, a new challenge for him as far as how he addresses that component with his team and like what's really on the line, the greater goal. And obviously that's what he does better than anyone um, because all the attention is going to be on the fact that they're playing UNC. So, uh, and the, and then I think too, like just. Duke is playing better probably than anybody in the tournament right now. Um, whatever ha- happened to them in that final regular season game after that, it woke something up in them and they've just been on a tear, you know, other than losing to Virginia Tech in the ACC championship game. I just think, I think they are playing at their highest level right now. And if, if he gets past UNC and, and to the final, and then God, could you imagine if you like, this is just like, this is the stuff you can't write that has to happen in real life because, It would be so unbelievable um, if it wasn't completely, you know, what's happening. So um, I think it's awesome for him and for Duke fans. It's it's just just insane that it actually is happening.
0: I'm going to go the other way. North Carolina beats Duke. Hubert Davis' lifetime contract (laughs) beats Duke on K's last home game, eliminates Coach K in the Final Four. Lifetime contract, Hubert Davis. He Lifetime should have it Davis. anyway. He should have it
2: anyway. <laughs> right. No, and that would be ins- but said, That I- would be insane too. And then I revert to my conspiracy theory, which we talked about the other week. That's like, then Coach K doesn't really retire.
0: <laughs> <laughs> right. Hey, I can't go out with no. a home oh. loss to North Carolina and my loss loss, no. right? I'm telling you.
2: You can't. You can't. I mean, granted, it's in the Final Four. But- have you...
0: The final four is great, but that it mm-hmm. gets trumped. Mm-hmm. I'm telling you, it gets trumped. Have you ever sat down with Coach yeah, K? Yeah, yeah,
2: many times. I mean, not one on one ever, always um, like in a group setting. Yeah, Meetings. you know, before game when we would go back and meet with him um, at practice and shoot around. Actually, this is kind of a hilarious, co- do you want my like ridiculous Coach K story. Um, so I was in Tallahassee covering um, Duke, Florida State and leaving for the game from the hotel at the same time as duke get in the elevator coach k's on the elevator hey coach how are you good Alison, you know good to see you go down a floor another gentleman gets on the elevator he's like oh coach k hey man hey you know how are you um introduces himself he was uh, uh i won't say the name he was a parent of a florida state player and he's in shock that he's in an elevator you know with coach k and myself and he looks at him and he's like wow coach k so great to meet you i have a ton of respect for you i'm so-and-so's dad hello mrs k how are you and i was like
0: <laughs> oh geez
2: <laughs> and i was just like oh no and shashevsky you know immediately is like no that's not my wife you should probably apologize to her <laughs> like, and then it created this entire just awkward <laughs> decline on the elevator. And I'm just laughing. I'm like, it's all good. Like, no problem. Oh my gosh. And so we got we met before that game, you know, in the in the coach's uh locker room and and had a good chuckle uh about it, the two of us. But yeah, it was it was one of the more memorable and you know, he on game day is like especially right before he's a very serious, um, you know, all locked in focus in that mode already as soon as he leaves the hotel. I mean, he is at shoot around too, but especially as you get closer to game. And so it was, it was pretty funny.
0: When you, when, when, is there anything about him that maybe you, you noticed or maybe there isn't that people don't know?
2: Oh, that's a good question. I would say how, um, how detail oriented he is probably. That's the one thing, like nothing gets by him. He doesn't miss anything. He sees everything Um, He picks up on everything and he, as much as he'll, he'll curse and get angry and be very emotional. It's always in a very controlled and intentional way. Like you never see him um, be out of control. He is always in control, whether it's his emotions um, practice, uh, what his players are doing within the media outside. Like he is always in control he manages and oversees everything um, down to each minute of travel, of practice, of um, of everything within that program he has his hands on. There isn't anything that he didn't have a say in. And I, I, I'm sure that's to do with his military background, you know, that attention to detail and everything matters. Um, but he is he's a pretty fascinating guy. I would say he's also a bit funnier than probably people realize, like, he's a little quicker with, with a joke than, than people would realize. Um, But yeah, I'm, I'm thankful that I got the time I did to cover him um, as much as I did. I wish I could have had some time in this last year, you know, just to, to let him know that um, in person and um, and wish him well and kind of like have my like, okay, this is the last with the greatest ever coach a game. And let's, let's be real about it. But um. Yeah, he is I would say those two things probably a little funnier than you realize and even more um, detail oriented uh, than than people realize. Who wins these games? Oh my god, I have no idea. I I oh, I'm going I'm going to duke Kansas in the final just because with Villanova without more um, and I think what Kansas is able to do defensively – first of all, if it's second half Miami-Kansas, not first half Miami-Kansas, oh, my gosh. Ooh, as oh. A, hey,
0: hey, hold on. As a Mi- as a Miami gal, you're watching at halftime, and you're fired up, right? We're going to New
2: Orleans, like baby. I was tr- oh, and then- God. And I, I was like, okay, this like, can we sustain this? Can we sustain this? And then the second half started, and it was four minutes, and I turned to my husband and I said, I feel like this game is over, and there's like still 12 minutes to play. <laughs> like how is there this much time left it's a completely different game I you know what I'm so freaking proud of Laranaga and 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 what Miami did this year and just getting to the program's first Elite eight um it, it would have been just unbelievable to have them go to the final four but um the way Kansas played in that second half it became quickly apparent that was not going to happen and Miami couldn't hit their shots in the second half I mean nothing was falling McGusty kind of disappeared for a little bit there and um it was tough. It was tough because it was so close, and they played so well. Um, but you know, Kansas showed why they're the number one seed, and and they're the team that they are. So um, epic Final Four, like it, it's unbelievable. With all the upsets we had in this tournament, that then you get the four blue bloods, right? Um, but yeah, I, I if you, I'd, I'd probably say Duke Kansas in the final. Who wins? Duke. <clears throat> Like I I still can't I yeah, Duke.
0: You like a you're a reporter, you like a good story. You like a good I'm not disagreeing with you. I think Duke, you know, I mean who's playing better than Duke? Kansas in the second half played better than Duke. But
2: collectively in the tournament that's not, you know nobody's been better than they have.
0: Nobody
2: and and then it'll just add all the fuel to the fire of like people that hate Duke.
0: Did I see Kay yesterday came out and said, look, if you hate Duke, F you. We don't have time for people. Like, all right, well, I guess. I don't hate Duke. I don't love Duke. I in. I I like watching Duke. Yeah. Uh, So, I don't, you know, he said nobody can be on the fence. I feel like I'm a fence sitter. Are you? I I feel like, I I don't, yeah, I think so, because, like, I thought I was rooting for Duke in that final game against North Carolina, you know, in, in Cameron. Like, before the game, I thought, oh, man, I would, you know, and as the game was going on, I, you know how you find yourself when you have no dog in the fight, right? All of a sudden, you're rooting for somebody and you don't know why. Right. I had no idea why I was rooting for North Carolina. I, I had none because I hadn't planned on rooting for North Carolina, but I started rooting for North Carolina in that game. So, I'm, I'm going in rooting for Duke, but who the hell knows <laughs> oh, feel, with right. my brain. No, I, I, I hear you.
2: It's,
0: it's just odd. Like, uh, do you think next week, We we should play forecasting with Allison. Mm. Like, next week, what will be the ridiculous, made-up crisis that we all, if we don't go along with, are going to get killed? Will it still be the same? Like, we need to forecast Mm. what's coming
2: Mm.
0: in the world of amen. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know
2: either. I feel like there's gonna be there's gonna be some new threat. Like if it's not COVID or Putin. I don't know. He alluded like to the food shortages briefly, right? Um, which is very real possibility. I think Ukraine's one of like the or is the top producer of wheat. Um and if you can't afford gas, move your food and the fertilizers through the roof and um commodities are really weird right now. Like the the grain is so high but people won't buy it because they don't think they can resell. So I feel like there will be a new, I don't think it'll be a new distraction. I think there'll be something new to fear. Like there'll be a new shortage or a new threat to like our daily way of life, if that makes sense. So maybe, it, maybe it's a new variant. Um, maybe it's a something that's been detected that's like gonna wipe out. Like, what aren't all the chickens sick or something right now?
0: Yeah, chickens are doing not, yeah. not doing great. Chickens are
2: like I just feel like there's going to be something Uh like that um, that will feel very potentially disruptive to our day-to-day lives.
0: You know what's sad? This is what's sad, okay? We live in the greatest country in the world, greatest country that's ever existed. And I did not even think when I asked that question, and maybe you did. I don't know. I'll ask you. I never even thought to put something positive in there. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, well, I think by this time next week, we're going to have something, whatever. I didn't even think to put something positive Mm -hmm. in there. And that's not great.
2: And I feel like you're, you're not a pessimist by nature. Like you're a pretty positive guy.
0: No, not at all. Very. I wake up every day. My wife will tell you and I I have a song. I start singing. (laughs)
2: Oh, Every you day. would be so annoying. I do. <laughs> I couldn't deal with that. No, I know.
0: I know. And, and, and then, I, then I fart and belch and scratch, and we start the day. We're That's why the
2: lovely Lee Ross is the unicorn that she is.
0: Oh, you're the best. I can't wait to talk to you next week. We'll see what, what, what next let's, capacity Let's like channel that. You're it'll the be best.
2: positive. You're, I,
0: <laughs> yes like i'm i'm you're the best person that i talk to like you're the best because i can throw everything at you and you're so informed about everything that all right last thing i got two minutes what's the show where are we at with the show what are so we, doing? we
2: pivoted a little bit um we're doing a series of long-form interviews sit down interviews with some of the more controversial uh sports figures and personalities um, and trying to tackle some of the issues you and I talk about, but from a different standpoint and people that are more directly involved with them uh, for the daily wire. So I think we're going to start hopefully the end of the month. we got a couple guys lined up um, working on a few others. Um, and I, I, I'm hoping we can have some, just some more in-depth and complicated conversations than most media outlets will allow you to have, if that makes sense. Like everything now is short and microwaved no and, um, nobody wants to get into the weeds with a lot of the stuff that we're seeing in this country. So, um, I'm hoping, I'm hoping we're able to do that with these interviews. We'll probably be like six of them. Um, and then we'll release them all over the summer.
0: Can't wait. Thanks, You're the A-Dub. best. You're Have the a great best. rest of your week. All right. You too. Love talking to Alison Williams. America, you owe that woman an apology. If any of you clowns ever talk bad, let's go right into Gottlieb. We'll be right back. We're going to take a short break here. We're rolling. I mean, rolling right now with Don't At Me. And, of course, you don't want to miss it. Stay tuned right here for more Don't At Me. Is Gottlieb here? We don't need to make the great Doug Gottlieb wait. Doug, how are you? All right, you and I were talking yesterday. You say, Duke is is Duke the only story here, win or lose?
3: No, I think... I think this is actually a, a really interesting thing going into the semifinals. Would you rather see, I mean, think about there's, there's only two possible angles to this. Um, either Mike Krzyzewski ends storybook style, you know, maybe beating Kansas, um, a program that he first beat to win his first national title or, or Hubert Davis with, I mean, it would take the National Guard to ever get rid of him at North Carolina if in his first season he turned around, he beat Duke at Duke on Krzyzewski Day. And then in their first ever postseason Final Four meeting, he ended Mike Krzyzewski's (laughs) career. I mean, can you like I we all like sitting here going like, ah, it's going to be just like John Wooden, right? Wins the title because that's does is what it feels like if Duke wins. But what if North Carolina wins this thing? How amazing would that be? How does North Carolina win it? Well, I mean, I think what they, uh, how they attacked Duke last time, is the right way—middle uh, ball screens—and I also think you got to get, you got to get Mark Williams on uh, Armando Baycott's back, and you know when you're a very good shot blocker. You know, continue to drive in at him. Sometimes that ain't it. Whereas if you post him up, it can take away his legs and Baycott's a good player. But I I think middle ball screens and playing inside out. And they did a great job of of spacing Duke last time. And, you know, this is the same Duke team. And look, I think they're going to win it. But this is the same Duke team that Michigan State had them dead to rights. Texas Tech had them dead to rights. North Carolina beat them. They lost in the ACC tournament. So it's not like they're unbeatable, but I think it's middle ball screens uh, to take away the fact that they pressure you out of everything else you want to do and throwing the ball inside to Baycott, um, knowing that it gives you the chance to get, Mark Williams is not in that game. They're a different basketball team. He he, has re- he really takes them to a different level.
0: You know, um, it's interesting. Tom Izzo told me after their Duke game, um, he said, Hey, Dan, I, I expected Duke to crack to your point. He goes, they cracked against North Carolina. They cracked against Virginia tech. He told me point blank. He goes, you know, just, he goes, I felt going into the game. If we could get like, had a five point lead, uh, they would crack. He said, you know what? They didn't crack. In fact," He goes, they got stronger, which made him a believer. He's always been a believer in Duke, obviously, but made him a believer in this Duke team. The fact that not only did they not crack, and you'll understand this better than anybody, they got stronger at the end.
3: No, th- these guys are, the one thing you get with, with these Duke players, I, I think a Jeremy Roach and a, and a Paolo Bancaro is main court players. right? Th- these guys have been playing the main court, the main gym, you know, ever since they were in eighth grade or seventh grade. So especially Paolo, right? And they, they almost embrace that. It almost energizes them. Now, look, you don't want to play that game all the time. You know, or we're down and we need something. But you're right. they. And I also think that's part of how Shashevsky coaches. You know, he can be incredibly harsh on guys, but his general message is like, hey, you give me everything you got on defense and I'll let you do what you want on offense. And, and he kind of encourages them to have confidence and next play mentality, but I'm, I'm with double D. I'm, I'm with, um, it is completely, they, they impressed me with what they did against, against Michigan state, against Texas tech, that's a good defense. They didn't miss a shot the last eight minutes, 50 seconds against Texas tech. So, um, I, you know, it just, you watch that Michigan state one you're like, i are going to turn around and win this damn tournament. And now, here they are, two wins away from me.
0: <laughs> hey, uh, you you understand better, I think, better than anyone. That's why I love having you on. But Justin Moore, again, I talked to Jay Wright, and you agreed yesterday when I was on your show. Uh, Justin Moore, the best player, according to Jay Wright, on Vanderbilt's team, or excuse me, on uh, Villanova's team. What are they losing by losing Justin Moore? What is Villanova losing?
3: So, I think by now people have realized that uh, Villanova style is unique. I mean, they're in, in, in their culture is unbelievable. Um, they have, you know, they, they walk up to each other, they say attitude, attitude. Like it just kind of like locks them in. Like I, I love all of the different things they do with them off the court on the court. It's not really the way in which I could play, but all those guys are unbelievable at it. And by that, I mean, the guards can shoot, Handle and even score in the post, and then the bigs can shoot. So they, it's, I call it inverting your offense, right? When you have your guards inside and your bigs outside, and the second that you help, they kick off for a three-point shot. Well, the one thing this team has lacked really is just a guy to go get you a bucket, and and somebody who can get a step. Colin Gillespie is a great college player and an unbelievable leader, but he really struggles to get a step. Right? That's why the, the draft stock isn't the greatest. Justin Moore was the one guy I felt like who could, he's one of probably two guys who could go in and get their own shot. Um, There's a reason he take took more shots than anybody else in this offense. So he's versatile, but more than anything, like I I don't, they're a strength in numbers team. They got to have five guys that can all score that way. If you help, that's the guy who's going to get the bet. And when you take Justin Moore out, now you get into their bench. And there's a Jay Wright's not an idiot. He would have been playing his bench if he thought more of his bench. And the fact that they only play about six or seven tells you that they, it's slim pickings down there. So if you remember Ryan Archie Diacono, there's another one, another Archie Diacono. He's going to get some more minutes. Um, it, it's going to hurt their versatility, but also hurt their just ability. I mean, you know how this is. Like All coaching is the same. You draw it all up. But at the end of the day, you need a kid to go get you a bucket. And Justin Moore, that's a kid that go get you a bucket.
0: Kansas is a great. I thought the second half they played defensively was as good as any I've seen against an offensive team that was loose. Is Kansas being a little bit forgotten in this Final Four, or is it too early? To say they that? are,
3: and it's 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 my fault, uh, and I think it's a lot of our fault that we watch college basketball all year, right? Because you look at Kansas, like oh mm, god, they're just okay. <laughs> they're just okay. How do they do this? I I believe this. I believe that Bill Self is so good that the reason that they get upset in the NCAA tournament is because many times their talent's not nearly as good as the perception would lead you to believe. Um, this year is a perfect example. You know, I like Christian Brown. I think he'll he'll play in the NBA, but he's not a first-round draft pick. Ochai Abaji probably is, probably. And then outside of that, I mean, they've gotten a lot out of McCormick. He's finally started to play. And then out of the point guard position, like that's really by default, but, but the one point that probably hasn't been made enough is you basically added a player over the last month. Remy Martin had nothing to do with the rest of the season. I mean, it was, I don't know if he was hurt or just the mentality or bill getting in his ass about how this, this is how we play here. It's not how you play at Arizona state, whatever it is. Remy Martin has come alive. And so now when you add, and again, not a pro. But a really, really talented college player who can score in a hurry. And he kind of frenetic, right? Like a better version of Corbello for his transfer from Illinois. But you you basically added a really talented borderline, he was like an all conference level Pac-12 player for the last month because he was doing nothing. And you're like, he wasn't added, he was on the team. I understand. I'm telling you, it took him that long to come around. So you add Remy Martin. Right. You have a brilliant game coach. I mean, that, that's really what that was. I mean, he spent the first half figuring out, hey, I'm not going to, I got some matchups I want in the second half. He put his point guard on Cam Mcgusty, who had led Miami in scoring. And that was that. He just changed some matchups, threw the ball to McCormick. <laughs> he played his center in the first five minutes, fed him till he burped, got him out of the game, and they outscored Miami 47-15. to And Jim and Larry were sitting there going, what the hell just happened to me? Uh, Bill's Bill's <laughs> really good, and they added Remy Martin. That's what's happened.
0: Do you get into at all the best conferences? You know, everybody down on the ACC. Well, here you are with the ACC. Everybody up on the Big Ten. Here you are. Big Ten doesn't have anybody with nine teams in. Do you get into that at all? I don't think you and I have ever talked. No,
3: because no, I I do think, and and this is kind of cool as I've been able by crafting together a bunch of different companies to work for. I get to see every different league and they are they are different. The SEC does feel like the level of athletic talent is picking up. The Big 12 is a kind of a combination of age, athletic talent and quality coaching. The ACC has always kind of been a finesse skill conference that had probably ACC and Pac-12 usually have the most pros and then the Big 10 I don't want to say it's plotting, but those are bigger bodies and they all have a, almost all have, you have to have a five, right. To win in that league. Um, you know, it doesn't have to be your best player, but yet it's just a, a bigger kind of thicker conference. So that that part I would get into, but what we, we do, the stupid stuff. are like, well, the sec, you know, it, it underachieves like, all right, well, if Tennessee hits a shot and goes on, they might still be playing and like, we could, we could play this game all over again. If every team in the league loses early, or if over years and years and years they get exposed, I'll give you one. You know, Villanova and the rest of the Big East. You know, we we say this. It's what Villanova's done. It's it's a lesser version of Gonzaga. We all we talk about Gonzaga. I think the Big East has more athletic teams, but there's not that many. Uh, there, there's starting to be some similarities between the WCC and the big East in terms of you have one superpower and then all those other ships have to rise, rise their tide. And we only, we look at Georgetown like they're Georgetown in the eighties. They're not right. And so if I said, Providence was really good this year, I would match it up and say, St. Mary's was really good this year. You know, Um, there's a greater depth of the, of the big East than the WCC, but I think there is a parallel there. Consider it. Nobody points out when Villanova's healthy, they dominate the big East dominate. Um, because they came in from a higher-level league than Xavier and Butler and and some of those other schools. I, I also think, like, if you want to talk leagues, there are schools that are in the wrong league. Maryland's in the wrong league. Butler's in the wrong league. And the coaches and the players end up suffering because it's really hard to win in a conference that doesn't really align with how you recruit or where you recruit from.
0: Where, uh, what, Where would you be? If somebody said to you, "All right, we're going to cap. We're going to change the way we select. We're going to cap major conference." Mark, Mark Packer brought this up to me. He goes, the Big Ten should be capped at five. I'm tired of Big Ten getting nine in, and they don't. Look, I don't. I, Did he say that when the ACC got eight or nine? When the ACC is, got eight or nine, was Mark saying that? I I don't think so, but I don't. But I know this: the Big Ten's the first league ever to have nine and not get a team to the Elite Eight. You know what I mean? So, I don't know. I, 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 Mike. In a perfect world, Vegas would just do everything. Vegas would figure out the tournament. Vegas would figure out the matchups. Do you think there need? Let me put it this way. Do you think there needs to be any change in how teams are selected?
3: No. No. I mean, who? I try to remember right now who didn't get in, who should have gotten in, who was it who wrote that? No question. Who was it who wrote the impassioned letter? Who? Oh, it was Texas A and M. Okay, sorry you didn't get in. Like, oh, really?
0: If that were Duke, if that were Duke, would people have a different impression of it? But it's not. Again,
1: I I hear people say, "Yeah, huh?" I mean, I I,
3: like we. This is this is probably one of our biggest flaws as people is that we want perfect. And here's the thing: perfect doesn't exist. It just doesn't. You know, we want the perfect college system, you know, where everybody wanted the college players to be paid. And now you're like, well, hold on, hold on. There's a lot of other, you said it'd be perfect. There's no perfect. Perfect doesn't exist. Wasn't perfect before, not perfect now. Okay. You wanted 64. Okay. Well, let's expand to 68. Like you can't expand because you have to have that bracket. The entire thing is popular and successful because of the sheet of paper. And then because of our ability to gamble on. You love it, I love it. We love talking, diagramming it, drawing it up. Hey, man, if you move this guy here, you do there. Look at that adjustment. That's a charge, a block. But the reason that it makes all this money, the reason that it's popular, okay, is the aspect of gambling. It always has been. It's not sinister. And most of it is very lighthearted gambling in the the bracket, you know? It's the old, uh, uh, it's like um, the 50-50 drawing at the high school football game. We act like it's not gambling, but you put in money and you might win more money. That's gambling, right? So, <laughs> so, or you might lose money. So you can't change the bracket. The bracket is is going to remain the same. And we're also in 2022 where every one of these conferences got to get a team in. They got all kinds of screwy rules. We ended up with four amazing universities, four great coaches. It wasn't the best elite eight or sweet 16 St. Peter's, who I don't think most people in New York could pick out on a map. Like, where is St. Peter's? Like, heaven. St. Peter's is the heaven. That's where St. Peter's is. They (laughs) went to the Elite Eight. So, I don't know. Like, again, we're searching for perfection, Double D. Newsflash doesn't exist.
0: Then you better be against automatic uh, or electronic umpires in Major League Baseball.
3: Of course. Well, I mean, like, look...
0: I hate well, it. look, here here's, here's I'm with you. I want I want human air in everything. I want human air in everything. Brackets, umpire, I want human air, dog. Okay, not
3: I, I need radar flying a plane, please. Okay. I need radar. There's some human error things that I would like to sports, say sports, For, sports. Sports. Sports, human, sports I, I, I sports. just like again, use it smart use of technology. Smart use of technology. it, it is interesting though on how um you know in in the court of law the least reputable form of testimony is eyewitness testimony and yet that's how we decide who wins and who loses billion dollar sporting events it's right. pretty amazing right. that's that, 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 that's getting
0: that's getting too deep that's that's just too deep who you got Duke. winning these games
3: i i love to okay Duke. so here's here's what i'm thinking okay um you look at the over under that one, and people think it'll be a track meet. I think both teams can really score. Um I I I just I think it's Duke. And then in the other one, Kansas and Nova. I mean, without Justin Moore, obviously Kansas become, I think it's four and a hook. I think that one will be played at an exceptionally slow pace. I think it's one thirty-two and a half. Like, picture that in mind. That means if Kansas were to win sixty-two-sixty, Nova would cover and hit the under. Uh, I think. I think Nova will struggle to get out of the 60s. I think Kansas wins, covers, and it'll be the under. Um, and I, and then it's Duke and Kansas in a national championship game. Who do you like? Duke. Duke. And and, and, and mm-hmm. I, I truly believe this. I think this is the best coaching job Bill Self has ever done. I don't think – I think you're going to look back and go, I can't believe what he's done here. And he has. But Duke's really – Really talented. I think um, Steve Lavin, actually, he, we, he did the call on Westwood One. And he said, and he made a really good point. He's like, you have to remember that there's four teams going into the finals now. But when you take out three of the one seats, you take out a couple of the other two top seats. They have the coach who's won the most. Granted, all those other coaches. I mean, Jay Wright has won two recently, obviously. And Bill Selfs won one. But they have the most successful coach. And they frankly have the better players. So they should be the favorite. <laughs> the, the only team, the teams that had similar or equal talent are out. They just are, you know, Gonzaga's out. That's the team that could have matched them athletically. Arizona's out. That's the team that could have matched them athletically and shot for shot. So I, I think that's when push comes to shove, I like guys that make the ball go in the basket more than other guys.
0: I, I'm starting to like defense. Like I'm watching, I'm watching St. Peter's beat Purdue. Purdue can't get the ball inside of the freaking top of the key. I mean, they got trade. I'm thinking to myself, wait a second. Now is defense as big a deal because I've always been the guy that said, Hey, look, I got a national championship ring. Cause Keith Smart hit a jump shot. You know, you know yeah. what I mean? Key Smart hits a jump shot. I got a national championship ring. Bayheim is a bad guy. Uh, guess what? Night, didn't call timeout, the whole world changes in our world. I've always been that guy. I've always been the guy that's like jump shots, but I'm watching defense here and I'm like, son of a, you know what I mean? Well, that's what what happened last
3: year in the finals, obviously. I mean, that's the, that'd probably be the other, if we wanted to get into real basketball talk of what we should have learned is that you're going to win this thing. You better be tougher than a $2 stake, man. Uh, They're letting guys play a lot more. And I do think that, I do think that, you know, we, we talk about getting old and staying old and all these old, but, but a lot of it is the older guys, they don't have any other agenda anymore. It's not as much. People say, well, they're old, so they're better. Some of it, their bodies can be thicker and better, but that's not really what has allowed a lot of these teams to be successful. The teams that are successful are the ones that have one agenda, winning. And you and I have been around it a lot, and most college basketball teams – Um, by about mid season, you got various agendas, you know, guys that are the sixth to ninth guy, they need to get minutes to get shots. Otherwise they're going to transfer, you know, and then everybody in the starting lineup is trying to get theirs to, to, to move up a draft, some imaginary draft board, you know, whereas if you just win you just play good basketball, the rest will take care of itself. So, um, if there is a trend, yes, I think the defense, I mean, Villanova's defense is outstanding. Kansas completely shut off the water of of Miami. Duke has improved immensely defensively. Plus, they have Mark Williams, who just erases mistakes, and they they don't usually have that. You know, that's not usually they usually have the five star center who's more the score, not a guy who becomes an elite shot blocker and and rim protector. Um, and then I, I think North Carolina's gotten better. I mean, Brady Manek's not a great defensive player, but he's older, and he only cares about one thing: winning. Baycott just a gigantic body and then their guards get after so I agree with you I mean look that's the change in Duke and North Carolina is neither of those teams guard anybody until the last month of the season Uh, and that's generally a precursor for success Um, but I but my logic behind picking Duke doesn't change it's that